I don't know, between the two of us. Okay, there we go. He works with computers, too. <laughs> Tenebrae, yes. How many of you coming to Tenebrae? I think they already know about it. Good, there's two of them, and there's 6 and 7.30. They're both the same, and uh, usually they're crowded. They're very good. And uh, so um, do yourself a favor if you didn't raise your hand and come anyway, okay? Turn, if you would, to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. Believe it or not, we are going to finish the Sermon on the Mount today. (laughs) By definition, we're going to finish it. We did get slightly interrupted last week. For those of you who weren't here, I was somewhat surprised when my wife and the senior pastor showed up. I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) We're getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and last week's lesson was about false teachers. Any time, every time, the gospel is taught, there is someone coming behind teaching false doctrine. You know, somebody comes along and says, salvation is by grace alone through the blood of Jesus Christ. And somebody comes behind and says, well, that's kind of true, but let me let you in on the true truth. And so Jesus warns his audience, I've been teaching all of this stuff, and somebody's going to come and tell you it's not entirely true. And in fact, in this case, he probably knew who they were. They were probably sitting on the periphery of the audience listening, the Pharisees, waiting to find out what Jesus was teaching so that they could then correct it and or shut him up, which ultimately they thought they did for about three days. But that's much later in the story, or it's next week, depending on how you look at it. We ended last week's lesson talking about the fact that the false teachers can be known by their bad fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. And as we talked about when we talked about the uh, teaching, that the teaching can fall into two different categories. It can be in the area of morality or it can be in the area of doctrine. We see the same thing in the bad fruit, where it can be shown in bad doctrine or it can be shown in bad behavior. You know, no, you don't have to do that or you have to do this or you don't have to believe that or you have to believe something else. That's why we are given a body of Christ, the church, I would dare say that none of us are smart enough to determine all the bad fruit by ourselves. We need to be able to go to somebody who we trust and say, what about, and they can go, hmm, no, that doesn't smell right. There's something wrong here. Let's figure out what it is. There is lots of false teaching out there today. I contended last week that it really is the same false teaching that's been in existence from the beginning of time. It's just every generation we put it in some new wrapper and pretend that it's something new. So, 
As Jesus finishes the sermon, he says, beware of the false teachers because they look like sheep. Remember, we're the sheep. God is Christ is the shepherd. They look like sheep, but they're not really sheep. They're wolves, and they want to destroy you. That was last week's lesson. This week's lesson is the conclusion. And it begins with two of what I think are two of the most terrifying verses in the Bible. Let's read them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this is verse 21 of chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I get to heaven. I have spent my life doing what I think God wanted me to do. And I get there and Jesus says, I never knew you. Isn't that a terrifying thought? What we're going to see is that there are lots of people, there are some people, I have no idea the quantity, who think they are members of the body, but they're just going through the motions. They are saying the right words, Lord, Lord. They're calling Jesus Lord. And then they're going and doing what they want to do. Or they're doing the right external activities. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? I mean, let's face it. To the best of my knowledge, I've never cast out any demons out of anybody. That sounds pretty good, right? They cast out demons. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't. He just says it doesn't count. Why? Because they did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I never knew you. Why would someone call Jesus Lord, Lord, and then not do what he says? Why would we do that? Well, we do that. We want to kind of cover both sides of the fence. I'm going to say, Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to stand up on Sunday and say, Yea, verily, Jesus is my Lord. And then I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. Do you know people like that? I'm not going to ask you, are you a people like that? But we'll worry about that later. We all know people who have all the right words and yet we question whether they actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, Lord, here I am. Let me in. I've said good things about you all of my life. But they do not do the will of the Father who is in heaven. Quick, what is the will of the Father? Anybody want to take a guess? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, you get the picture, right? The gifts of the Spirit. 
All of these things that are contained in the Scripture are the will of the Father. We've had this discussion in here before, remember? Somebody comes up and says, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. And I understand the question, and I appreciate the question. They're trying to make some big decision. They're trying to decide, you know, to follow this job or that job or to retire or not to retire. Uh, My kids, you know, to marry or not to... I mean, all these big decisions, we want to understand the will of God for those decisions. But the reality is God has shown us more of his will than we care to follow. Where? In the scripture. But I want... Somebody to walk up to me and tell me what the specific will is for my life. My contention is you take the scripture and you find what God's will is for your life. You follow that will and the rest of it will fall into place. Not that it will be easy. There's always going to be difficulties. There's always going to be complicated situations where you really don't know. But the majority of it will fall into place. You say, Lord, Lord, you give the right words, but at the root you are not doing what the Father wants you to do. Huh. This passage isn't meant to scare us as much as it's to make us think about and to examine ourselves whether or not we are doing what God wants us to do. More about that in just a moment. But I'm doing great deeds in God's name. I am casting out demons. I am doing great things for God. Surely God will let me in. Now, I had a little thought about this this week, you know. How in the world are they casting out demons if they're not really in Christ? That doesn't make much sense. You know, doesn't that take a strong powerful believer to cast out a demon? Yes. Or maybe it takes a demon who's playing along with the game. I mean, let's face it. If I'm a demon and I'm working in your life because you are an unbeliever, the best thing I can do is make you think you're a believer when I know and God knows you're not really a believer. And you know, if you go up to a demon and say, be gone with you, the demon may chuckle and say, I'm leaving. Because I want you to think that you are, in fact, something that you're not really. The demons are perfectly welcoming of helping us believe that we are believers when we are not. I did all these great things in your name. And you're telling me that's not enough? You're telling me I need to do more? You're telling me that my list is only this long and it needs to be this long or this long? Is that what you're telling me? No. What he's telling us is that what we need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to be known by Christ. Now, when we are known by Christ, will we do acts of righteousness? Without question. Without question. 
James sits over there and tells us, you know, show me your faith by the good things that you do. He doesn't say create your faith by the good things you do. He simply says show me your faith by the good things that you do. We will be known by the fruit that we produce. But the fruit that we produce comes because, uh, what's the, the picture? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. We produce fruit because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't pretend to produce fruit in order that we might earn our way into receiving the blessings of Christ. Two weeks ago, we talked about the passage where it says, narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. And broad is the door, and easy is the path that leads to destruction. Jesus is getting to the end of the sermon, and he's making a distinction between those who follow the way of this world and those who follow him. And he is saying, some people will not know because they've so confused their minds that they think they are on Jesus' side and they're not. So, what does this mean to us today? Do I go home tonight and sit there in cold sweats worrying that I'm going to show up at heaven's door and Jesus is going to say, I never knew you? Now, you think I'm going to say no. But you want me to tell you something? If you're not a believer, you need to be sitting at home tonight in cold sweats worrying about going to heaven. Sorry. That's just the way it is. Broad is the gate, easy is the road that leads to destruction. Now, if you are a believer, then you need to rest in the assurance that God gives us that Jesus, who began a good work, will finish that work in us. But, comma, if you believe you are a believer, but have no relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to ponder what that means and present yourself to Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner and trust him to save you. You may have grown up in a church. I grew up in a church. I believe that I went to church two weeks after I was born. I can't prove that one way or the other. I do know that I have a scar on my chin that I got in the nursery running around, running into a table. (laughs) You, like me, may have grown up in a church from the day you were born, and you may begin to think... I am a follower of Christ because I show up at the door every day like I've always done. You've heard the old joke, right? Just because you live in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. And just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a believer. It should. It should because you are being presented with the gospel. But sometimes in our 
Hardened, confused hearts would begin to believe something is true when it isn't. How do we know? Ask. More about that in just a moment. Ask, and God will answer your question. Why do we not ask? Because we don't want to know the answer. Yes, Jeff. The observation is that God works in different people's lives at different ways at different times, and that's true. And we need to have patience that God is working in the lives of people. Having said that, don't take that as an excuse that you have lots of time to determine your standing with Christ. The scripture clearly tells us that no one knows when you're going to die no one knows, so you can't be presumptuous and assume that you have more time than you actually have. So, verse 24, we get to the conclusion. If you remember when we started the Sermon on the Mount about, I don't know, 25 lessons ago or whatever it was, we actually started at the end. Do you remember that? We did that because I wanted you to be aware of where the sermon was going. You know, unlike my slow teaching, Jesus just preached this. And you would hear, blessed are the poor in spirit. You would hear, you're all the salt of the earth. You'd hear, you know, don't be angry. You'd hear all this stuff. And at the very end, he would say, what are you going to do about it? Since we spent a long time getting here, I wanted us to think about what it was we were supposed to do with what we were learning. So here it is. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now you're sitting here right now, okay? You've heard the word. Everyone who has sat through this sermon that Jesus is preaching at this point in time, has heard the sermon. You are without excuse. You have heard the sermon. Continually, I get asked the question, I got asked it just a couple of weeks ago, what about the poor guy in Africa who's never heard the word? And that's a hard question. It doesn't apply to you. <laughs> You've heard the word. It is an interesting question. And we know from Romans chapter 1 that God has written his character on their hearts and we've said no. And we've gone rushing after the created order instead of the creator. We know all of that. We don't like it, but we know it. But that doesn't apply to us. We have heard the word of God. 
You have sat here and listened to 25 lessons on the Sermon on the Mount. You are without excuse. You want to know something that's worse? I've taught 25 lessons (laughs) on three different occasions. I am without excuse. And he's telling them, the only option you have right now is what are you going to do about it? And he gives us two pictures. There is the person who hears the word and then goes and puts it into practice. And he is like the wise man who's building his house. He goes out there and he finds some rock and he says, I'm going to build my house on that rock. I am going to sink my peers down until they hit bedrock. And I am going to build a foundation that will stand. That is the wise person who hears and does. And what happens? The storms come. If I were dealing with a younger crowd, (laughs) there might be some who are naive enough to think that they're going to make it through life Without the storms. Every one of us is mature enough to know the storms are going to come. They may look different for you and for me, but the storms are going to come. The relationships are going to shatter. The diseases are going to come. Financial problems are going to happen. People we thought we could trust betray us. The storms of life are going to come. That is not a question in this passage. If you don't think that they are, come talk to me. I'll give you a list. Because I started working on one this week. You know? People we love die, right? Cancer shows up in our lives, right? Our children do things that we really rather them not do, right? Don't raise your hand. It would just embarrass all of us. (laughs) We know these things happen. It isn't a question. You see, you and I want to believe. We really do. I become a believer. And from here till the day I die... It is a piece of cake. I mean, everything that I do turns golden. All my relationships are sweet and kind. I never have a worry and concern of the world. And I'm going to die a nice, easy death. And I'm going to go on to heaven. Hallelujah, isn't life great? That's really what we want. It's not going to happen. The storm is going to come. The only question is, what happens when the storm comes? Is the storm going to destroy you? Or is it going to demonstrate that your foundation is built upon the rock? That's the question. The wise man is the one who finds the rock, builds his house on that. 
sinks the piers down until it's strong and secure. The fool goes out into the sand and says, hmm, it looks flat, or at least it's easy to make flat, right? You get the rake out, you make it flat. I'll build my house right here on the sand. Piece of cake. It's easy. You don't have to dig holes in the ground. Just lay that foundation right on the ground. Life is good. And the first storm that comes reveals that what you thought was the foundation is really no foundation at all. It's simply something to sit on when the weather is nice. And the first storm comes, and all of a sudden, that house is being blown down the street. That house is being driven into the ocean. Why? Because the foundation did not stand. So, here's the question. Here's the question for all of us as we finish the Sermon on the Mount. What are we going to do with what we have learned? That's it. Not just you. It's me. It's me and you every day of our lives making the determination that we are going to build our life on the rock. What does that mean? What does it mean to hear and to do the sermon? Well, we could go back to the very first section of the sermon and we could work our way through, but we've done that, you know. Blessed are those who are meek. What does it mean to be meek? Gentle, kind. What does that mean to me today? Well, I got angry at somebody yesterday, and I shouldn't have done that. God, will you forgive me? I want to be meek. I will work at being meek. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We hunger and thirst after a lot of different things. A lot of different things. Do we hunger and thirst after righteousness as we ought? Is that what I am pursuing in my life? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are to have an impact in the world around us. Are we? Are we doing that? We are not supposed to commit adultery, but we are also not supposed to lust. We are not supposed to kill anyone, but we're also not supposed to be angry. In fact, we are to treat everyone as we want to be treated. Did you do that yesterday? Did I do that yesterday? Maybe, maybe not. We need to examine ourselves to determine whether we are doing the things that God would have us to do. Wait a minute, Kyle. That sounds a whole lot like we're working it all out. That somehow, isn't that what we were just talking about? If, in fact, if, in fact, we have the relationship with Jesus Christ, our lifestyle should reflect that. And what does that mean? Hungering and thirst after righteousness, being meek, being the salt and light of the world, not being angry, not lusting. When you do your acts of righteousness, chapter 6, when you do your acts of righteousness, don't do them to show off. When you pray, go into your closet and pray. Does that mean we never pray in public? Yes, we pray in public. But if all your praying is done in public, you're probably in trouble. 
The prayer in public should be the tip of the iceberg that hides all the prayer that is being done in the closet. When you give to someone, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't do it so people will think well of you. Do it because God has given you resources and God has given that person needs. Do it. Do it. When you fast, when you make some sacrifice for God's sake, don't act like you're making a sacrifice for God. The Pharisees, oh, man, I'm fasting today. I am so worn out. I put the white powder on my face so I really look bad, you know. I am so worn out. Woe is me. I have been fasting for God. I have been sacrificing for God. Don't do that. Act, as, act like it's just some normal Tuesday and you're just walking through life. Because face it, what is your sacrifice to God compared to God's sacrifice for you? Oh, but I don't get as many brownie points if nobody knows what I'm doing. That's the point. Because if nobody sees it, God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Will that reward be public? Maybe. Will that be reward be in private? Maybe. Will that reward be in heaven? Maybe. Whatever God wants to do, God's going to do. But we're going to trust in God to take care of that and not us. And you look at me, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I know I just can't do this. The Sermon on the Mount is the lifestyle of the kingdom of heaven. There are those who believe, we started with all this, there are those who believe that it really doesn't apply to us today, that maybe it applies to the millennial kingdom, maybe it applies to heaven, but it couldn't possibly apply to us today because, I mean, how does chapter 5 end? It's pretty simple. Be perfect as your heavenly father. It, doesn't, it couldn't possibly apply to us. I think it does. But I can't do it. Bingo. You just hit the nail on the head. What was the first verse in the entire sermon? Not the, and Jesus sat down on the mountain and opened his mouth and taught them. Not that part of it. What is the first verse? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? The poor in the spirit are those who know they can't do it on their own. If you have reached the point where in your, the center of your being you know that you can't do it, you've arrived at the right spot. If you still hang on to that hope that you'll be able to do enough on your own that God will have to love you, you're still treading water. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you know that you can't do it, then God will say, okay, you're on my side. Then what do we do? Ask, knock, 
and seek. Ask and it will be given to you. That sounds pretty simple. Yeah. Why don't we do it? We don't want to ask because we don't want to know what the answer is. I've told you in here before, I remember some preacher one time, and he talked about before he became a believer, and he said, I was convinced that if I surrendered my life to Christ, God would make me marry an ugly woman. (laughs) And I wasn't going to do it. Generally, you hear that story, I'm convinced that God will call me to be a missionary, and I'm not sure I want to do that. This was just a little more refined. God is the creator of the universe. God has made everything that he saw fit to make. God is a God of love. God loves you and is working to make you into the image of his son. Day by day, moment by moment. And we are still convinced that if I surrender to God, who loves me and is working in my life to make me into the image of Christ, I am still convinced he's going to hate me and make me do something I don't want to do. Why do we believe that? We're going to see it multiple times as we work through the rest of Matthew. We have no faith. The disciples are in the boat. They're convinced they're going to die. And Jesus says, after he takes care of the storm, Jesus says, had you no faith? Where's your faith? Don't you know that I'm in the boat with you? And everything that's going to happen is going to happen according to the will of the Father? Don't you know? And we wander through life And God has revealed to us how we ought to live our lives. And we go, but there's got to be something better, right? No. There's not. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. My contention is this. Not that the Sermon on the Mount is easy. Easy is not a word we should apply to this category. My belief, though, my contention, is it is what God wants us to do today. Will we do it perfectly? Well, we're still sinners. We still fall short. We still hang on to that old way of doing things. But God says, you're going to be better if you follow this. Tomorrow, Tomorrow, when you have that opportunity to get angry, don't do it. That's it. One thing. At this point in time, I want to get angry, and by the grace of God, through the help of the Holy Spirit, I am not going to do it. Don't think about the next however many years you live. Don't think about next week. Tomorrow, when you want to get angry, don't. Tomorrow, when you want to do something good, 
but you want to make sure somebody knows about it, don't tell them. Go home tonight and write out a decent check to somebody and don't tell anybody else. Better yet, put it in cash in a brown paper bag and give it to them. And nobody will know. You can't write it off on your income tax. You can't do anything. Am I saying don't write it off? Sure, write everything to give that you can do, uh, deduct. Do it. That's a smart, wise thing to do. But is that all you, the only reason you're doing it? Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, you will have an opportunity to demonstrate some little piece of this sermon. Do it. That's all you can do. Tomorrow, do one. Then when the storms come, and the storms are going to come, there is just no question about it. The storms are going to come. You and I know people who, when the storms comes, their life collapses. What they thought gave them stability to their existence was knocked out from under them, and it collapsed. Now, I'll let you in a little secret. God is a God of grace. And when those people's lives collapse, they are very open to the gospel message. Because they had been building their foundation on relationships, money, power, influence, something else. And when it crashed, it's an opportunity to tell them, you know what? That doesn't work. Let me tell you about a foundation that will stand. And that is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I have no idea. No idea what Jesus' voice sounded like. But the people heard these words. They heard these words from the voice that spoke the world into existence. And they thought, wow, we've been listening to the scribes and the Pharisees all our lives, and they're just making stuff up. This guy has an authority. I'm not sure where it comes from, but he's not like those people over there. Let me let you in on another secret. You ready for this? I'm not Jesus Christ. (laughs) I don't play one on TV. Everything that I say, you need to look at through the lens of what the scripture says. Because I'm not the authority. Jesus is the authority. When I say things that come from the scripture, I am using his authority. And when I say things that deviate from the scripture, you need to call somebody. Start with me, but... You can call somebody else, too. 
And trust me, I've had it done. I told you last week. I've had people call Ted and say, I'm not sure what Kyle's teaching. And we work it out. I've had people in this class write me long letters telling me how wrong I was about different topics. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. That's what the body is all about. That's us. God has given us the authority of the scripture. And that's what we are to build our life on. If you build your life on my teaching, Ted's teaching, Billy Graham's teaching, anybody else's teaching, you're going to get in trouble. Because sometimes that person, that human being, that sinful human being will run amok and will go, oh, I'm losing my whole faith because I had my faith. No. I am not the authority. Jesus is the authority. As we work through the scripture, I attempt to explain, describe, present the scripture accurately to you. Sometimes I do it well. Sometimes I don't do it well. But I am never the authority. (sighs) We've made it through the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) Personally, I'd love to go back to chapter 5 and start the whole thing over. But I'm not going to do that because many of you would leave if I did that. <laughs> I told somebody in here, I actually have a book at home of sermons by one preacher on the Beatitudes. Forty sermons on nine verses. See, I was racing through this thing. <laughs> We're going to pick up and continue on through the rest of the book of Matthew. We'll do it A little bit faster, I hope. My goal is to finish by the end of the year, but you know how these things work out. (laughs) We will have other sermons by Jesus, but we'll also have a lot of description of his activities, what he's doing, how he demonstrates the life of the kingdom in the real world. How do you show love to people? Well, sometimes that's taking the woman caught in the act of adultery and saying, go and sin no more. Sometimes that's looking the Pharisee in the eye and saying, you brood of vipers. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound very... That's love. We're going to look at what it means to do our acts of righteousness as we see them played out in the life of Christ. We're going to look at what it means to be meek as we see it in the life of Christ. As he submits himself to the crucifixion when we know that he could have spoken a word and the Roman Empire would have ceased to exist immediately. But he didn't do that. Why did he not do that? Because Jesus was meek and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Why did he do that? Next week is Easter. Next week is Easter. Friday, Jesus Christ died. Why? Why did he have to die? Well, go back to the Old Testament. There's this whole discussion about the sacrificial system, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is both the perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest to offer that sacrifice. He died 
to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins. But he didn't stay dead. The third day he rose from the dead. We'll talk about all this when we get to the, into the book of Matthew, which may be next Easter, I don't know. <laughs> Why did he raise from the dead? To demonstrate to us that he won. He won. There is victory over death. There is victory over sin. If he had died to pay the penalty for our sins but had not risen from the dead, you and I would sit here and be scratching our heads. Was it really real? Did it really happen? Can we really trust? I don't know. That's why Paul says if he's not risen from the dead, all of this is in vain because we have no assurance of anything. The Pharisees won on Friday. And on Sunday, Jesus won for all eternity. That's why we celebrate Easter. You know, we make a big deal about Christmas. Christmas is a lot of fun with gifts and all that stuff. It's Easter that reminds us of why we're here today. Have a good Easter, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for the teaching that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that tomorrow each of us would put one little piece of this into practice, that you would give us the strength, the courage, the power to do that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.